Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.43 Central Daylight Time. It is the 19th of April, 2022, and this is episode 576 of Bitcoin. And I just saw something from Jack, uh, Jack Dorsey, um, that kind of made me a little sad, honestly. He's got a, he's read a picture, a screenshot of uh, The Godfather, one of the scenes where Marlon Brando's character is look the Godfather is looking really sad and underneath it it says look how they massacred my boy and he's in a discussion with you know basically it's a it's a reply tweet to people that are saying you know things about Jack you know sort of like this like well if you had such a problem with the board then why didn't you change it when you had the chance and that kind of shit and He's trying to tell him that he wasn't able to say anything, basically. And that what happened is that when you get right down to it, here's what happened. Jack creates this company with a couple of people. It ends up being one of the most successful ways to communicate uh, short bits of information uh, to a mass audience very, very quickly. It becomes one of the most successful social media platforms in the history of social media, even though we're, you know, it's not like social media has been around for a hundred years, but still, you, you know what I mean. And then he takes the the company public, does an IPO, and the next thing you know, he gets pushed out not once, but twice as the CEO of Twitter. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but Jack left Twitter once before years ago and then came back and now he's kind of been pushed out again and while it's clear that he voluntarily left what does voluntarily actually mean when you voluntarily do something under duress is that really voluntary is it is it the lesson to be learned is that we have we're past the point where you should feel safe by building a company with plans of doing an IPO to get smoking rich. I don't think that that's going to work out the way, the way that people think it works out anymore. We're in a different landscape. It's a, it's a different way of operating. And the minute you take your company, let's say you build a company, any company, and you make it big enough to where you can raise funds by doing an IPO and selling your stock and taking your private company, quote unquote, public, um, the very worst of the human condition, the human detritus, as it were, will crawl over your board and will make changes that you thought you could control, but you don't control it. You don't. You'll you'll end up with a board of miscreants who, even if they get on your board and day one, they're exactly what you thought they were going to be. Yeah, by year five, they're not. Why? Because you don't know what kind of interactions. You don't know how they'll change. You don't know who they're talking to. You don't know how they might be compromised and what they are willing to do because of that, because of that compromise. And here's Jack lamenting the death of Twitter because he knows what's coming. And I'll tell you one other thing that I, that I think, and this is a gut feeling. I have no proof. I have no evidence whatsoever. And yet I'm going to say it anyway. Why? Because I get to say whatever the hell I want. Jack was told by Elon that Elon was going to make a move to take over Twitter. And Jack told Elon, then wait till I get out. 
because I don't want to have dick to do with it. I don't want to be in that fight. I don't want to be in the boardroom. I know how these idiots are going to react. And how are they reacting? They're going to dilute everybody's stock. If, if Elon starts acquiring more Twitter stock and gets to, some, I think it's 15% of outstanding shares that the board does not approve Elon to buy, then all of a sudden they're going to start printing more shares. And who gets to compete with that? Only the people that have a shit ton of fiat chilling out in some vault somewhere where they can continuously buy more Twitter stock so that they don't get diluted out of their shares. Who is that not going to include? That's going to include your generally, generally speaking, it's going to include your, you know, teenage, 20 year old, 30 year old, you know, working a, a fiat, you know, slave labor job who does not have the money and is, has bought a whole bunch of Twitter stock because they thought it was going to help them save money for whatever reason, that stock shouldn't be used as a savings vessel in either event. They're not going to have the fiat to be able to continuously buy shares of Twitter so that they don't get diluted out of their position. And even if they did, it just means that they're spending a lot more money to keep the value of their Twitter stock at a stasis at which they're comfortable. So either way, you lose. A company, a public company as large as Twitter is so scared that they are going to dilute the positions of every shareholder in the world because one guy may or may not have machinations on free speech. I don't necessarily trust Elon Musk to come in and quote unquote, save Twitter and restore it to free speech and give everybody their voice back and all that kind of shit. I no more trust that boy than I would bats in a belfry. Why? Because they're all crazy. They're all psychotic. But be that as it may, the lesson should be learned. If you are going to start a company and you are doing it simply because you know it will work and that at one point or another, you'll be able to IPO it, then you better have an exit plan. You better have an exit plan because if you don't, somebody will find an exit plan for you. Now, meat, how should you eat it? I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff about meat that I don't, that I'm sure that I don't know from a nutritional standpoint, from a how to raise it standpoint, or maybe butchering lessons, how to cook it properly, what it goes good with. Well, it appears, and I did not know this, but there is a website out there called justmeat, all one word, dot co, dot co. And it is a website that is uh, a bunch of, resources curated by none other than Michael Goldstein or Goldstein, however you pronounce it. And that's at Bitstein. If you don't not following Bitstein on Twitter, please do so. He's a really good follower or a really good follow. Anyway, it's just meat, just meat.co. And here you will find a whole shit ton of resources about meat like articles from Amber O'Hearn, The Ketogenic Diet for Health. You have Zero Carb Zen. You have, uh, let's see, Active Low Carber Forum Post. You've got Diet and Exercise Articles. You've got, I mean, this thing is like three columns on a single page with tons, tons of resources. On the very right-hand side, you've got a complete list of Twitter follows that you can follow, like, Amber O'Hearn, Sean Baker, MD, Dr. Saba Toth, Sophia Clemens, High Stakes, uh, Georgia Ede, um, who, Miki Bendor, Ra- I mean, all these people are apparently carnivores. Then he's got an Instagram list, a YouTube list, a Reddit list, a whole bunch of podcasts about meat, Telegram group, Discord group, Substack group, Facebook groups. I mean, it's just everything that you would probably want to know about meat to begin your journey into good nutrition can probably be found at justmeat.co. So uh, visit Bitstein, B-I-T-S-T-E-I-N on Twitter. Give them a follow and go over to justmeat.co and start your journey there. The news. 
first Bitcoin ETF on Australia's ASX to list next week. Oh joy, yet another Bitcoin ETF. Uh, this is, by the way, written by Nomsios out of Bitcoin Magazine, the first Bitcoin exchange traded fund on Australia's main market, the Australian Securities Exchange, or ASX, is set to list next week as the country's major equity market market's clearing house gives participants the green light, reported the Australian Financial Review. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cosmos Asset Management could launch its Bitcoin ETF as early as April the 27th, according to the report. However, contrary to what has become the norm in similar offerings around the world, Australia's first Bitcoin ETF would not invest in BTC directly. <gasps> what? That, um, no, that's actually not the norm. That's actually not the, the norm is to not direct invest, directly invest into, into Bitcoin. The norm is to make a bet on the fucking price action, okay? That, that's the futures ETF, and, and honestly, that is normal, okay? We've got five of them here in the United States. We got, you know, a couple of them in Canada, but most of them really, the ones that matter, the, the, the ones that li live in the markets that matter do not invest directly into BTC. And here we have Australia following suit. So how they're saying that it's outside of the norm, I don't know. But whatever, let's let's continue on here. <clears throat> Australia's first Bitcoin ETF would not invest in BTC directly, but rather in shares of Purpose Investments Bitcoin ETF, North America's first Bitcoin spot ETF that began trading early 2021 in Canada. Cosmos partnered with Purpose Investments in February. ASX Clear, the powerful clearinghouse at the center of Australia's equity capital markets, now has four market participants willing to stump up the tough margin requirements needed to cover the settlement risks for this highly volatile asset, per the report. ASX Clear has demanded a 42% margin to allow a Bitcoin ETF to start trading under its umbrella. There are now three institutional grade clearing participants and one retail clearing participant reportedly willing to provide the necessary margin to trade a Bitcoin product. Quote, we are now at our minimum number of clearing participants, and that means we are good to go, says Hamish Trelevin, chief risk officer at ASX, per the report. Cosmos, which is owned by NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner Mawson Infrastructure Group, tiptoed into the cryptocurrency fund management industry last year with an offering that invested in Bitcoin mining firms, the Global Digital Miners Access ETF. According to the report, other asset management companies interested in listing Bitcoin-linked ETFs in Australia include ETF Securities, VanEck Australia, BetaShares, and Monochrome Asset Management. So there you go. Now, getting back to this, this whole issue of whether or not they're going to buy directly, uh, buy Bitcoin directly, they're not. They're going to be buying shares of an ETF that does. The, the, it is, I mean, they are going to be buying shares of an ETF that does buy spot. But this sounds a hell of a lot like a synthetic, a derivative. And I don't think that by owning those shares that they necessarily are going to be able to take possession of the Bitcoin if they were to so choose to do so. However, I do not know because it is not made clear in this article if they would have that option. So if they don't have the option, then it's purely synthetic and you might as well have yet another futures ETF based on price. It needs to be seen whether or not they can take possession of the actual BTC from the shares, but I guarantee you that is probably not going to happen. Why? Doesn't sound to me like it's in the best interest of that particular uh, exchange, right? So the purpose investments, uh, the, the purpose ETF uh, is probably not too keen on relinquishing the Bitcoin that they're buying through their trading desk and they're actually custodying. So my bet is that you might as well go ahead and treat this like a derivative or any other kind of synthetic ETF and not get too terribly excited about it. <clears throat> now, if you don't want to get excited about something else, don't get excited about DeFi. For the love of God, I've told you millions of times, we're going to start into the lambasting of yet another DeFi rug pull. Ethereum DeFi protocol Beanstalk hacked for $182 million 
What You Need to Know by Jeff Benson. Well, the first thing that you need to know is that there's no such thing as a hack. These are all rug pulls. I'm sorry, they just are. Do I have direct proof? No. Do I care? No, I don't. I'm going to say it again. These are not hacks. <clears throat> These are rug pulls. That's what they are. They're taking your money because you were dumb enough to invest in Ethereum-based DeFi, or actually DeFi at this point in on any platform is dangerous AF, dude. In the fourth largest decentralized finance exploit to date, a hacker reportedly used a flash loan attack to take $182 million in Ethereum, Bean Stablecoin, and other assets from the Bean Stablecoin protocol over the weekend. According to security firm PeckShield, the hacker made off with $80 million from the Ethereum-based project, <clears throat> with the rest used to pay fees on decentralized exchanges and loan services such as Uniswap and Aave, respectively. These DeFi tools allow people to trade, lend, borrow, and earn interest without using a financial intermediary, but they're not without risk. The hacker used a flash loan, which allows people to borrow an asset to make a quick trade and then repay the asset, all in just one complex transaction that involves multiple protocols. PeckShield says that the $80 million has already made its way through Tornado Cash, a coin mixing tool used for privacy, and in this case, laundering ill-gotten gains. Now I'm going to pause to remind you that yesterday's show, I told you about Tornado Cash. Yeah. That shit's going to end uh, the ability to do this kind of thing because now they're working with, I think it's chain analysis to tag wallet addresses so that you can't actually use Tornado Cash if your wallet address has been flagged. All right, so the, the gone are the days, I, I think, of this kind of shit happening. And what does that mean? It means that somebody will build another one. And they'll continue continuously rug pull DeFi until people get it through their head that maybe you should just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. Continuing on, the team behind the protocol Beanstalk Farms acknowledged the exploit on Sunday, tweeting, quote, as a decentralized project, we are asking the DeFi community and experts in chain analytics to help us limit the exploiter's ability to withdraw funds via centralized exchanges. If the exploiter is open to a discussion, we are as well, end quote. Beanstalk build, bills itself as a decentralized credit-based stablecoin. A stablecoin is a cryptocurrency designed to hold a one-to-one -one peg with a fiat currency such as the U.S. dollar. While the top stablecoins, Tether and USDC, do that by ostensibly holding cash and other collateral in the bank, Beanstalk uses an algorithm to ensure Bean holds its value. <laughs> that means that Beanstalk doesn't use collateral. Let's repeat that. Beanstalk doesn't have collateral, either of the fiat variety or tokens. Its credit-based system theoretically helps limit supply shortages because it's not limited by the amount of collateral people can bring. Creditors fill the gap. That sounds very dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. Beanstalk Farms has yet to provide more details on who was most affected by the hack, but the hacker appears to have cleaned the protocol out. On April the 15th, Beanstalk tweeted that it had reached 150 million in total value locked on the protocol, meaning users had committed that much in assets and coins to the protocol as liquidity, deposits, or collateral. So on April the 15th, Beanstalk tweeted $150 million they had in total value locked and this dude made off with apparently 182 million. So not only did he clean it out, he cleaned it out and then some. Yikes. Ladies and gentlemen, the DeFi shit never ends. And if you have to be reminded of just what's gone on in the past, we have this one. 13 biggest DeFi hacks and heists. Eric Jink and Stephen Graves is writing this one as of yesterday decrypt.co as well. Decentralized finance refers to blockchain applications that cut out middlemen. Since just about anyone can spin up a DeFi protocol and write some smart contracts, flaws in the code are common. And in DeFi, there are many unscrupulous actors ready and able to exploit those flaws. When it happens, millions of dollars are put on the line, often with no recourse for the users. DeFi users lost 10.5 billion dollars that's a billion with a b to theft in 2021 alone according to a november report by elliptic but 
As our list of the largest DeFi exploits shows, that figure has since grown by millions. So, bottom of the list, number 13, Grim Finance hacked for $30 million. Often, dApps take thematic inspiration from blockchains on which they're built. As a result, the Avalanche ecosystem is chock full of, of snow references like Snowtrace, Blizz, and Defrost. Meanwhile, the Phantom ecosystem feels like an on-chain Halloween party that adds a darker spin when things go wrong, as was the case with Grim Finance, a yield optimizer protocol. In December of 2021, the protocol suffered a re-entrancy re attack, a type of exploit where an attacker fakes additional deposits into a vault while a previous transaction has yet to be settled. Eventually, the attack tricked the smart contract into releasing 30 million in phantom tokens. DeFi protocols normally use re-entrancy re guards, pieces of code that prevent such attacks. Grim Finance's audit report from Solidity Finance incorrectly stated that the protocol had re-entrancy guards in place. A reminder that audits are no guarantee that exploits won't happen. Number 12, Meerkat Finance. $31 million. <clears throat> Sometimes it doesn't take long for a DeFi protocol to suffer its first exploit. Binance Smart Chain-based lending protocol Mir Finance lost $31 million in user funds one day after it launched in March 2021. One day, ladies and gentlemen, 24 hours, and it was hacked for all of its cash. The attacker called a function in the contract that made their address become the vault owner draining the project of 13.96 million in Binance stablecoin and a further 73,000 BNB uh, coin. The BNB heist was worth about $17.4 million at the time. Many users argued it was an insider job, a rug pull by the protocol's developers. Meerkat denies the allegations. Holy shit. So I wanna go back through this. Just I want to just look at this one more time. The attacker called a function in the contract that made their address become the vault owner, draining the project of 19 or a $13.96 million in Binance stablecoin. That actually sounds like it wasn't that the account wasn't drained, that it was mere that his his account merely replaced the vault's account and he now actually controls the vault and uh, nothing actually really changed. There was no movement of tokens. It was a replacement of the ownership of, the, of those tokens. So there was no, it doesn't look to me like there was any transfer. And that's some scary shit right there. When somebody can just like, you go into your account, at, like at a bank, and you look at your checking account, and it has zero dollars in it. <clears throat> and you come to find out that what happened wasn't that somebody drained your checking account. Somebody literally just replaced your account your account number with their account number as the custodian of the funds. That's just some sh messed up shit. Number 11, V Finance for $35 million. <clears throat> Summer 2021 saw a boost in activity on Avalanche, which also attracted those hungry to exploit blockchain networks fledgling ecosystem. In September 2021, only a week after lending platform V Finance celebrated a milestone of $300 million in total value of assets locked, it suffered what remains the largest exploit on the Avalanche network. The attack was possible largely because V Finance's leveraged trading futures relied on token prices provided by Avalanche's main liquidity protocol, Pangolin. To abuse that, the attacker created seven trading pairs, pairs on Pangolin, uh, provided liquidity, and finally placed leverage trades on V. That allowed them to drain $35 million in cryptocurrencies out of the protocol. In a tweet addressed to Dear Mr. or Mrs. OX, 95BA, the protocol demanded that the attacker return the funds as part of a bounty program, which would let the attacker keep a portion, but the V hacker showed... No desire to return the funds. Number 10, pancake money, 45 million. Crypto often goes through brief but intense fads. But in spring 2021, Binance Smart Chain was the hottest DeFi trend, especially for retail users due to its low network fees. <clears throat> but BSC was also host 
to lots of scams and hacks, the largest of which was a May 2021 exploit that targeted yield farming protocol Pancake Bunny. A hacker manipulated Pancake Bunny's pricing algorithm through a series of eight flash loan attacks, eight of them, jacking up the price of the protocol's native token Bunny. The hacker made off with $45 million by buying Bunny token cheap at market rates and selling it artificially at inflated highs. Number nine, BZX, $55 million will we'll go through, uh, we'll forget the, the uh, regular stuff and go right into what happened. <clears throat> um, although flash loan attacks are common in DeFi, BZX is an OG in that regard. It became subject to flash loan attacks in February 2020, which targeted its margin trading platform, Fulcrum. The hacker made off with 1,300 wrapped ETH worth $366,000 at the time in another attack in September. All right, 2020, BZX lost 30% of the funds locked into its vaults, which were worth $8 million. However, users with open margin positions didn't suffer losses because, as the protocol later said in the report, those funds were debited against BZX's insurance fund. Number eight, BadgerDAO, $120 million. In December of 2021, Bitcoin to DeFi bridge BadgerDAO suffered a $121 million loss after scammers conned BadgerDAO members into approving malicious transactions, which let them control users' vault funds and therefore move funds. Blockchain security firm PeckShield told Decrypt that the protocol's contracts were safe from the exploit and only the user interface was impacted. Number seven, Cream Finance for $130 million. Uh, good for God's sakes. Flash loans allow you to take out instant loans provided you pay them back on the same transaction. Though useful for arbitrage plays, they're widely deployed by malicious actors to exploit vulnerabilities in DeFi protocols. In the case of Cream Finance, the flash loan attacker was able to exploit a pricing vulnerability by repeatedly taking out flash loans across different Ethereum addresses. Cream had seen it all before. Because in August of 2021, a hacker stole $25 million in yet another flash loan attack, primarily targeting Flexa Network's native token AMP. In a February 2021 flash loan attack, hackers siphoned $37.5 million out of the protocol's pool. Number six, Vulcan forged $140 million. According to a post-mortem report, a hacker obtained the credentials of the platform's centralized user wallets, Venly, to get a hold of the private keys to 96 crypto wallets. Later, the hacker used it to obtain the private keys in the platform's asset portfolio feature, MyForge, and eventually made off with $4.5 million in VulcanForge native PYR tokens. In his address to the community, VulcanForge CEO Jamie Thompson said, quote, going forward, of course, we're going to be using nothing but decentralized wallets, so we never have to encounter this problem again. Number five, Compound for $150 million. It emerged in October 2021 that Compound had a bug, the best kept secret in DeFi. That let borrowers claim more than their intended share of Comp, C-O-M-P. The bug involved two of its vaults or pools of funds on the smart contract. Users would call a specific function on the reservoir vault, which would refill another vault, Comptroller. That vault would automatically distribute large amounts of comp to wrong addresses. The leaky tap was the result of an error introduced in a previous protocol update. And after $80 million in comp was sent to the wrong people, the team rushed to patch a fix. But before any fix could be implemented, the protocol required a governance proposal to pass. It was created on October the 2nd and finally accepted on October the 9th. While the community debated, the vaults lost a further $68.8 million. How did Compound founder Robert Leshner try and get the money back? By tweeting, quote, anyone who returns comp to the community is an alien gigachad. And if a squad of alien gigachads ever summon me, I will appear. Almost half of the funds were returned. Beanstalk is the number four. A hack, and we just went through that, so I'll skip to number three. Wormhole for $326 million 
Good Lord. The hacker targeted the bridge's leg on Solana where users must first lock Ethereum into a smart contract to get an equivalent amount of wrapped Ethereum. The hacker managed to find a way around this by minting wrapped ETH without locking up ETH in a wormhole. Good Lord. Jump Trading Group, a stakeholder in Wormholes development, took the initiative to replenish Wormholes Ethereum coffers and make it whole again. Number two, Ronin for half a billion dollars. That's billion with a B. NFT-powered play-to-earn game Axie Infinity is one of the biggest crypto success stories of the year or last year, on March 23rd, 2022, it became the victim of one of the largest hacks in crypto with an estimated $552 million in cryptocurrency drained from the bridge to its Ronin sidechain using hacked private keys. By the time the exploit was disclosed by Axie Infinity, developer Sky Mavis a week later, the value of funds stolen had risen to $622 million. According to a report from Sky Mavis, the attacker used a backdoor through our gas-free RPC node, which they abused to get the signature for the Axie DAO validator, end quote, explaining that in November of 2021, Sky Mavis turned to the Axie DAO to distribute free transactions due to high user load. The report added that, quote, the Axie DAO uh, uh, allow listed Sky Mavis to sign various transactions on its behalf. This was discontinued in December of 2021, but the allow list access was not revoked, end quote. Using the exploit, the attacker was then able to sign transactions from five of the nine validator nodes on the Ronin network, including AxiDAO's node and four of Sky Mavis's very own nodes. This in turn let the attacker forge transactions and claim 173,000 wrapped Ethereum and 25.5 million USDC, totaling around $622 million. Calling it one of the bigger hacks in history, Axie Infinity Infinity co-founder Jeff Zierlin noted that there's a chance that the attacker can be identified and quote unquote brought to justice. Yeah, good luck on that. Poly Network is the number one DeFi rug pull, $611 million at the time. The heist began when a hacker exploited a vulnerability in Poly Network's contract calls, pieces of code that power the protocol. The hacker swiftly made off with $611 million in various cryptocurrencies, leading Polly to publish a letter of despair with a salutation, Dear Hacker. That communication attempt and subsequent outreach efforts eventually worked. The protocol offered a bounty of half a million dollars and the opportunity for the hacker to become its chief security advisor. But in an on-chain Q&A session, the hacker explained that the exploit was only meant to teach Poly Network a lesson. Returning the stolen funds was always the plan, they said. Cryptocurrency security firm Slowmiss said it identified the attacker's identity markers and that the exploit was likely to be a long-planned, organized, and prepared attack. Quote, now everyone smells a sense of conspiracy, the hacker said, denying they're an insider. But who knows? Let's run the numbers. Well, Peter Schiff was almost happy. It's CNBC.com, futures and commodities. West Texas Intermediate taking it on the chin. Actually, all of the flammable liquids are taking it on the chin. 4.14% to the downside brings West Texas down to $103.46. Brent North Sea down over four points to $108.38. Natural gas doing its thing. Eight and a third points to the downside, $7.17 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down just over four points, $3.23 a gallon. Gold down over a point, back to $1,963.90. Peter, every time you get, I mean, welcome, welcome to the show, brother. Every time you get close to $2,000 an ounce, Magically, magically, it goes back down. Why? Because of manipulation. So I can kind of feel your pain. And I honestly, I, I, I like Peter Schiff. I get annoyed that Peter Schiff has this tendency to tweet every time Bitcoin takes a dip. 
And yeah, it's cringe AF, but still, we're, Peter really is fighting on our side. He just doesn't get it yet. And I don't think he ever, I don't think he ever will. But as far as solid money policy, hard money, that kind of thing, he's definitely a Bitcoiner. He's just not a Bitcoiner yet. Anyway, silver down over two points, platinum down over two points, copper down over two points, palladium down three and a half. Agricultural prices are all down. However, we got rough rice as the only winner today. 2.18% to the upside. Cotton is the biggest loser. 3.62% to the downside. Foodstuffs are all down. Sugar is down over two points. Corn is down 0.87. And the rest are down by a third, basically. Indices, we've got the Dow up almost a point. S&P is up almost a point. NASDAQ is up slightly over a point. And the S&P mini is up well over a point and a third. Real money is rallying today, I suppose, $41,074. We have 11,000 transactions performed every hour on the hour with 1.6 million BTC changing hands in that day. Uh, 69,670 BTC sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of now 6.3 BTC. Yesterday, it was just over one BTC, so 6X on that. Median transaction value is holding at 0.013 BTC or about 537 bucks. Block times are very high, 10 minutes, 55 seconds. We have 0.072 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 9.3 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. We have a, an 11.96% drop in hash rate to back down to 194 exahashes per second, which is more than enough security that you'll ever need. Please do not let yourself be worried. Uh, shitcoin indicator is Doge, 14.1 United States pennies. We have 10,621 transactions waiting on eight blocks to clear. A market capitalization of $789.7 billion represents 6.11% of gold's entire market cap. And now we may purchase even more shiny metal rocks, 21.2 ounces to be sure. Uh, 19,015, no, 19,015,773.43 BTC are in circulation at this time with 3,660 uh, BTC locked in the Lightning Network valued at $152 million. And we've had another loss of nodes on the network. I don't know what's going on, y'all. It's like, I don't, I just don't understand how, you know, 2,000 nodes just go offline uh, unless everybody just decided to update all at once. But we're at 16,943. We still have 82,147 uh, 82, payment channels that we can see. And 73.2% of all this is being run over TOR's associated 11,834 nodes. So that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Terra's Luna surges 17% as UST becomes the third largest stablecoin. Ladies and gentlemen, I told you you should be watching this, not because you should go buy Luna, but because you should just be watching this simply because, well, they own a lot of Bitcoin. In fact, these people own more Bitcoin than Elon Musk does, or at least Tesla. We don't know what Elon Musk has privately, but we do know what Tesla has. And Terra has more Bitcoin than Tesla. And that, sh that honestly gives me reason to be fairly disconcerted. Okay, so Coindesk, Shara Malwa is writing this one. Get out of my way, ad. Terra Luna's outperformed the wider crypto market with a 17% bump in the past 24 hours, pushing prices to over $90 in Asian hours on Tuesday. Luna pushed past the $80 and $82 marks, 
pivot support level to as much as $92 during early Asian hours. Profit taking saw prices fall back to $89 at writing time, another support level for the token. The move comes after a nearly 37% drop in the first two weeks of April, following lifetime highs of 120 bucks earlier this month. Luna is a governance token for money market protocol Terra. The spike comes as Terra's algorithmic stablecoin UST toppled Binance, uh, which is BUSD, to become the third largest stablecoin by circulation during the later hours of Monday. Terra also became the largest buyer of Convex's CVX token over the past 30 days with over $17 million in purchases, according to research from Delphi Digital. Convex is a protocol that allows users to earn fees without locking their CRV. The token of the decentralized lending project Curve, uh, fees earned on Terra's deposits are distributed among Terra's users. Good God, this sucks. I this just this is this is not sitting well with me now they're buying complete shit coins stable coins are cryptocurrencies pegged to fiat currencies algorithmic stable coins however like ust take this one step ahead and can be backed by a basket of assets such as bitcoin without depending on any centralized third party to hold those assets in February, major crypto funds led by Jump Crypto invested $1 billion in Luna Foundation Guard, a Singapore-based nonprofit that aims to maintain UST's peg by purchasing several assets as reserve backing. LFG has since purchased Bitcoin, Avalanche's AVAX, other stable coins, data shows, with Terra also donating $10 million Luna worth $890 million at current prices last week. The reserves currently sit at $2.48 billion at time of writing with 69% held in Bitcoin. So they are on a buying spree. The question I have is where are they getting the liquid capital to make such purchases? Follow the money and you'll find what is emanating this, what is emanating the stench. Bit licensed, speaking of stench, bit licensed crypto firms ordered to pay annual assessment fees in New York. How is this not a protect, protection racket that would come under the RICO laws in the United States? How, how is this not protect, uh, a protection racket? How is this not straight up mafia bullshit? I don't know. Maybe Jesse Coglin will tell us more from tele, Cointelegraph. The cost of running a crypto business in New York is about to rise with the state government gearing up to require companies holding a bit license to pay assessment fees to ensure that they're complying with regulations. That's like owning a restaurant and having to pay for your health inspection. I don't know if they actually do that in New York. If somebody knows whether or not you have to pay for your own inspection as a food service provider in New York, let me know. The rule was included in New York State's uh, FY 2023 budget signed into law April 9th by Governor Kathy Hochul, giving the state's Department of Financial Services a new authority to collect supervisory costs from licensed virtual currency businesses, according to a statement by the DFS. Jesus. DFS Superintendent Adrian Harris said the fees would bring digital currency businesses in line with those already paid by institutions such as banking and insurance companies and added, quote, New York was the first to start licensing and supervising virtual currency companies. And we continue to attract more licensees and the most crypto startup funding of any state in the nation. Bullshit. She's lying. That is not true. Nobody wants to get into this shit. They had people fleeing the state of New York after the installation of the bit license. The only people that want to go there are people that are somehow or another going to benefit off their inside relationships with the DFS. That's protectionism. That is a protection racket, and it is governed by the RICO laws that are on the books in the United States that govern organized crime. Go look them up. The state of New York was the first in the United States to require crypto companies to be licensed with the introduction of the now known bit license. The application fees for such a permit are currently $5,000 and subject to vague capital requirements determined by the New York Department of Financial Services. 
The annual assessment fee amount that the DFS will charge crypto firms is currently unknown, (laughs) but the same fees for other regulated financial institutions can cost tens of thousands of dollars per year. The DFS states that the fees are to assist with paying the operating expenses expenses of regulating crypto firms and will empower the department to build staff with the capacity and expertise to best regulate and support this rapidly growing industry. Businesses that accept crypto as payment, create software for the crypto space, such as self-custody wallets, or give advice on crypto trading aren't subject to the bit license and corresponding new fees. Recently, the regulation and licensing of crypto in the state have come under fire with billionaire investor Bill Ackman sharing his thoughts in February about New York's failing policies and how it could make him leave the state. Ackman appealed to Mayor Eric Adams and Governor Hochul to address the increasing concerns around regulation, saying that easing restrictions and removing regulatory barriers could make New York a crypto center of innovation. Mayor Adams ran with plans to make New York City the center of cryptocurrency industry, even taking his first three paychecks in Bitcoin. Analysis from Cointelegraph in November shows that it's really up to the New York DFS and state government to enact changes that will attract the industry. So the governor, uh, or rather Mayor Adams, basically lied to all the New Yorkers saying he was going to do it, when in fact he knew full well that he didn't have shit to say about it. And that's your generally, generally speaking, that's your run-in-the-mill politician today. Ireland, speaking of politics, bans political crypto donations on foreign interference plans. Jesse Coughlin, writing it for Cointelegraph, Donations made to political parties using cryptocurrencies will be banned in Ireland under new political integrity laws drafted due to concerns around foreign interference in politics. Amendments proposed by Minister Draha O'Brien also covers rules around foreign donations, misinformation, and other transparency requirements for political parties, citing fears of, you guessed it, Russian interference in, in Ireland's elections. Speaking with The Independent on Monday, O'Brien said that the laws will further protect Ireland's democratic system given the escalating threat of cyber warfare targeting free countries and a newly established electoral commission will oversee compliance with the laws. You know, we should probably just go back to paper ballots. We did it before. We did it before with several million people. Actually, well over 200 million people in the United States in the 70s. We were able to do it. How, how, what, why, why is it necessary? Why do you have to have it electrified and transmissionified and transmogrified into internet voting? Why? Well, because it's easier to cook the books, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, it is unclear what percentage or monetary amount of political donations are currently paid to political parties or individuals using cryptocurrency. Cointelegraph contacted Minister O'Brien on and the Standards and Public Office Commission for comment, but nobody said nothing. O'Brien started his campaign to reform the laws in January 2022, establishing a task force of political scientists and legal experts to investigate new election laws due to concerns about the escalating Russian-Ukraine war. The task force advised on a series of measures that would build a legal and digital bulwark against election interference in the country, including parties providing streamlined accountancy reporting and declarations on adherence to the new political funding laws. The banning of crypto political donations isn't unheard of. The state of California banned the practice in 2018, citing issues of transparency and that cryptocurrencies are hard to track. Three other United States, including Oregon, Michigan, and North Carolina, also have laws against using cryptocurrencies in campaign financing, according to data from Multistate. The Irish Central Bank has taken an unfriendly approach to crypto in the past. As recently as February, the bank stated that it was unlikely to improve investment funds with exposure to crypto for retail investors as they lack a high degree of expertise. Okay, so your ignorance is causing people to remain poor. Oh, joy. The Central Bank of Ireland also issued a warning to consumers the following month on crypto assets, advising them to be mindful of the risks of misleading advertisements, particularly on social media, where influencers are being paid to advertise crypto assets. Now that actually makes sense, but we have other fish to fry. Uh, Let's do this one. Blizzard president, World of Warcraft publisher, isn't doing NFTs. Tim Hockey, Decrypt.co. 
The president of Blizzard Entertainment, Mike Ybarra, was quick to shoot down suggestions that the World of Warcraft and Diablo publishing studio is looking to capitalize on the nascent NFT industry anytime soon. Quote, no one is doing NFTs, he tweeted over the weekend, replying to video game journalist Andy Robinson, who said that Blizzard is pulling interest in NFTs and play-to-earn games. The poll, Robinson mentions, was designed by British market research company YouGov, and it asked Blizzard fans what they think of several emerging technologies, including virtual reality, video video game subscription services, cross-platform play, and the metaverse. While Ibarra's comments appear to close the door on NFTs in Blizzard games, the broader picture still leaves some wiggle room for a different interpretation. Blizzard Entertainment's parent company, Activision Blizzard, is currently in the process of getting acquired by Microsoft in the $68.7 billion deal expected to be finalized next year. The purpose of the acquisition? To provide building blocks for the metaverse, according to a Microsoft announcement. Gamers are deeply ambivalent about NFTs since in-game monetization often evokes unfair play-to-win systems and annoying microtransactions. The environmental impact of crypto will also be a high concern among gamers until perhaps the when Ethereum, the network that hosts the most NFT upgrades to a more upgrades to a more eco-friendly proof-of-stake uh, system later this year. Pausing to say that ain't ever gonna happen because it's always been happening. Ethereum has always been upgrading to go to proof of stake and they never have. Since 2015, they've been planning on doing this and they never have. They've always delayed. So that last statement, you're gonna wanna take that with a fairly large pinch of salt. Still, some gaming studios are testing the waters. Ubisoft tapped the Tezos blockchain to bring NFTs to its last ghost recon title and last month the french company invested in a blockchain-based collectible card game called cross the ages ubisoft has also acquired land in pixal's ethereum-based metaverse the sandbox and so has final fantasy creator square enix or enix meanwhile grand theft auto publisher take two is cautiously optimistic about the promise of nfts and video games so right now blizzard looks like they're not going to do it What's more interesting is the fact that Blizzard is getting acquired by Microsoft. That is probably not going to end well for the lovers of franchises like World of Warcraft and Blizzard and anything else. Um, there's a lot of really good, not I won't call them open source games, but indie games that are free to play. Um, you should go look for some of those because honestly, the big five game publishers have all been cut to the point that none of their games are fun. They're just platforms to parrot whatever the mainstream media is, whatever the current thing is. That's the big five game companies. That's all their games are doing right now is parroting the current thing. You got FIFA taking out soccer, the Russian soccer team. Was it FIFA? Whatever it is. I don't give a shit because I don't play any of those games. But taking out the Russian soccer game, are you fucking kidding me? Or the the soccer team, are you fucking kidding me? How gay is that? This is ridiculous. I mean, just, can we just have a video? Can we have anything that isn't polluted by the current thing? Is it possible? Does the current thing have to be everywhere all the time in, in everything? At what point do I go buy a bag of Mahatma rice and somehow or another find a prize in it that is something to do with supporting the current thing? I mean, are cereal toys going to start being nothing but the current thing? It's like, I don't know, Ukrainian flag pops out of the box of fucking Fruit Loops. This has become so tiresome and so boring and life has become so homogenized that it's just, it's like living inside of a commercial 24-7. You got to break out, dude. So if you're like, if you're looking for something to break out into, look for anything else. Uh, I think uh, uh, there's a good Diablo. It's not, I don't even want to call it a clone because it is super cool. Pillars of Eternity, I think, is something that is very much akin to uh, Diablo, but I haven't seen it go woke. So you might want to, if you're a Blizzard uh, or a Diablo fan, 
I think it's pillars of eternity. If I'm wrong and, and you can't find it's pillars of something, I'm pretty sure. And I used to play it. And honestly, I was like, holy shit, this is every bit as good, if not better than Diablo. And I don't have to deal with the woke shit. This is freaking awesome. Now, moving on, Core Scientific begins reporting daily Bitcoin production. Sean Amick has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Core Scientific Incorporated, one of the largest publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies in North America, will be releasing daily reports of its self-mined Bitcoin production every day on its website at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the company said in a Monday press release. Um, I have been mining Bitcoin for over a decade, during which time the most commonly asked question has been, how much Bitcoin does your company mine on a daily basis? Darren Feinstein said, core scientific co-founder and co-chairman per the release. Today, we are the first publicly traded Bitcoin mining company to report our daily self-mined production, which is updated on our website every day at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, even though we are in Eastern Daylight Time. I'm in Central Daylight Time. My point is, is that don't use EST when you're talking about EDT. It's Eastern Daylight Time. If you're going to be looking, I mean, you'd be looking uh, at a different time scale altogether, but um, be that as it may, it looks like they're going to be self-reporting on their website every single day. That's kind of interesting. This is too. Congress tells the SEC redefining long-standing concepts would probably be bad for digital ecosystem. Derek Anderson has it for Cointelegraph. Ranking member of the United States House Financial Services Committee, Patrick McHenry, and ranking member of the Subcommittee on Investor Protection, Entrepreneurship, and Capital Markets, Bill Huizaga, sent a letter on Monday to Securities Exchange Commission Chairman Gary Gensler. The letter expressed concerns about the proposal or the proposed SEC amendments to the Exchange Act of 1934 that would expand the definition of an exchange and the phrase, quote, as a part of regular business, end quote. The Congress people said the changes could stifle innovation in the digital asset ecosystem. Each said that they understand that communication protocol systems would be included in the definition of the exchange under lengthy new wording proposed on January the 26th. Communication protocol systems are not explicitly mentioned in the proposal. The redefinition drew fire from Coin Center last week. The crypto lobbying group said it would create a speech-based definition of an exchange and would impact decentralized exchanges by requiring them to be licensed. Coin Center claimed the change would be a violation of free speech. A March, 20, uh, March 22nd proposal would change the wording defining, quote, as part of a regular business, end quote, with the definition of dealer. <laughs> it would extend the meaning of that phrase to someone who engages in a routine pattern of buying and selling securities or government securities that has the effect of providing liquidity to other market participants and require SEC registration for that person. The SEC added in a footnote that the rule would apply to digital assets deemed securities as well. <clears throat> the SEC's analysis in both proposals is insufficient to justify such proposed changes. Most importantly, the SEC fails to identify the problem that the rulemaking are intended to solve, particularly as it relates to requiring certain market participants facilitating digital asset transactions to register with the SEC McHenry and Huazenga wrote. In addition, the Congress people noted the short comment period for the proposals, which are contained in documents almost 800 pages long between them. They asked that the comment period be extended to at least 60 days. We also request that the two rulemakings discussed above be reproposed with sufficient economic analysis, justification, and greater clarity surrounding the internet or the intent of the rulemakings as applied to the digital asset ecosystem, they concluded. Words have meaning, ladies and gentlemen, and when you have words that have ambiguous meanings, well, you get problems, but we're not gonna get into it. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. All right, dad says jokes. Damn it, I just burned my Hawaiian pizza. Maybe I should have cooked it on Aloha temperature.
Anybody who puts pineapple on pizza deserves to have their pizza burned. I'm saying it. I'm saying it right now. If you're a pineapple on pizza lover, stop listening to the show. I don't know. Go hang out with freaking yellow and, and, and the rest of the 58 K gang and all the people that make the memes because apparently they all love pineapple pizza, every single one of them. And if they deny it, they're lying. Especially Greg Zaj. That dude loves his pineapple pizza. He really, really loves his pineapple pizza. If you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. Use the Breeze Wallet. Use Fountain App. Use, I don't know, whatever other 20 Podcasting 2.0 apps that there are. Subscribe to the Bitcoin and Podcast. Start listening to the show and streaming sats. And you can also boost. If you don't want to stream sats, you can literally set it to zero and just boost every once in a while. Like I say something that you like, hit the boost button and set your boost button for like 10 sats and boom, what happens? 10 sats blast directly into my lightning node without anybody in between me and you to tell you or me what we can do together. So podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. Also, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to get into it, if you don't want to figure it out and you want to just use a visa card or something like that, I have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. Go over there, one buck a month. It's a bit, come on, it's got to be worth a buck a month. I'm reading you the news so you don't have to. Can I pronounce everybody's name? No, clearly not. Dude, I mean, you know I have problems with that. But after that, I'm reading you the news while you're on the train in a car, I don't know, walking around doing gardening or washing dishes or whatever, so that you don't have to sit down and read the news. Why? Because that's what I wanted. I wanted somebody to just read me the damn daily news in podcast format, and there was not a single show out there that did it. So if not you, who? I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.